On this episode of That Was a Show, Hudson Street was a show. Tony Danza plays yet another character named Tony in this story about a divorced police detective in Hoboken, New Jersey. Finally ready to give love another chance, Tony gets set up on a date with newspaper writer Melanie, played by Lori Loughlin. The catch? He's a tough-on-crime conservative, and she pretty much just believes in basic civil liberties and due process. In another twist, she lands the city police beat for the New York Times, so now they have to work together. Uh-oh. Join Bryn, Aaron, and Barry as they gather evidence for their investigation into why this star-studded sitcom got bumped off after only one season. <laughs> we grew up during peak sitcom, Seinfeld, Friends, The Fresh Prince. But those shows were diamonds in the rough. This podcast is not about those diamonds. It's about the rough. Some sitcoms were briefly popular in their time. Some were cancelled almost immediately. You probably won't recognize most of these, and you'll ask, that was a show? That was a show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring Bryn Burney, Aaron Yeager, and Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. <laughs> so yeah, Barry, you're back from your vacation, your travels. That I am. That I am. It's nice to be back. I, it's nice to be among the the fellow Twezers. <laughs> twezers? Are we the Twezers? Twezies? Twezers? I think I think we're the Twezers. Twezers. And then the, and then the audience, I think, are the Twezies. Okay. Although our our awards thing was the Twezies. The Twezy Awards. Son of a bitch. Twezonians. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. So the, the yeah. Where yeah. did you go? Was this a journey from Milan to Minsk? <laughs> Might as well have been. Well, we know where he went, Aaron. I'm, I'm asking for the benefit of the audience. I mean, I mean, <laughs> if if the audience cares, I went to uh, I went to Rome, uh, Florence, Venice, and then I visited some friends uh, just outside of Belfast in Northern Ireland. So that's where I was for a little while. Cool. Uh, ah, hence. And- yeah. Hence no podcast for for a little while. Sorry, yeah. everybody. Yeah, listeners. Um, we'll take this opportunity to apologize for the zero warning that we were going on a break, but we went on yeah. a on a bit of a like longer break than we intended. Um, Aaron and I also had an adventure that is still ongoing, which was moving uh <laughs> to a new place. Which I'll actually say is probably the bigger reason why the break was so long. Yeah. Not Barry's not, trip, not Barry's but, um, trip as much. Yeah, we're com- that's tr- that's true. We planned for my trip. We yeah, didn't we necessarily plan for the move. Yeah, we're yeah. coming at you live, not live, but no, recorded. No, not we're coming at you <laughs> we're recorded not live at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> live, live, live to tape, but then also heavily yeah. edited. Yes, <laughs> we're we're, <laughs> we're coming at you recorded and heavily edited from our new studio. Yeah. It's just five minutes away from our previous home, but you know, uh, yeah. So Barry will have you over here soon, and we'll record record in person because that stuff is yeah. I mean, okay I guess now. for for the audience out there, I mean, it's probably often forgotten is that uh, yeah, we 
have not really recorded many of these in person, despite yeah. living despite living in the same city. We started recording in person. I think we recorded the first three or four episodes uh, together, and then you know uh, the pandemic happened and then it's been a couple of years now and i think we've maybe only managed to record maybe three or four others in person and this is episode 46 so (laughs) yep (laughs) i mean it's i've gotten used to this uh Mm -hmm. so i would imagine the audience doesn't really know the the damn difference when we do uh our chemistry is just so good Unlike, right? unlike yeah. the two leads of the show we'll be talking about today, yeah. but we'll get to that. At one point, oh, we did have to upgrade our internet connection to ensure that our video chats were actually yeah. in sync. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. And this like Zoom meeting might die out because we'll, we'll see. But yeah. anyway. It might be two or three Zoom meetings, but yeah. anyway. Anyway, we're here. Yeah. We're doing we're it. Here. We're podcasting. We're doing it. And yes, we are still podcasting. So Thank you to everyone who has waited patiently for this release. And we're really excited to be back with you and talking more smack about old TV. (laughs) I don't know how excited we are about this show in particular. Yeah. But I'm excited to be talking to the two of you about a show. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I, I mean, spoiler alert. For everybody out there, uh, I also really wish it wasn't this show. (laughs) So, uh, oh, I love that we're on the same page. That should set that should set the mood for what's to come. Yeah, it's funny. Um, Like often, one of the three of us will be a dissenter from the overall vibe of the reaction to a show. Minute one of watching the first episode of this show, and I was like, no, 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 this is going to be a unifier here. (laughs) (laughs) I had a brief moment. At the beginning where I was just like, okay, I could see, I'm like, all right, I could kind of see Bryn and Aaron really not being into this. And then like maybe 30 seconds pass and I was like, oh, and me neither. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's an example of a show that in its format and in the like tone is so familiar. If you grew up in the 90s watching sitcoms at that time. You yeah. immediately recognize the cadence of this show. There's something about yeah. like the interplay between the rhythm of the dialogue and the laugh track and the way that it's shot. It's extremely familiar 1995 sitcom. There's nothing yeah. weird about the, the style of how it's executed. But as no. you will soon discover from our conversation, it's a it's a pretty shallow well that they're pumping from. Yeah. Um... 18 minutes in, why don't we tell the audience uh, <laughs> what, what we're talking about? We yeah. haven't even said yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Go, so. Do your thing, Aaron. Go for it. All right, here's my thing. Hudson Street is the 1995 classic starring Tony Danza as a tough-talking police detective in Hoboken, New Jersey, and Lori Laughlin as a cub crime reporter for the New York Times, who is also his foil-slash-love interest. Wait, did I say classic? <laughs> no. This show was canceled after one season. Naturally, Tony Danza's character also happens to be named Tony. In this case, Tony Canetti. Quick aside, I did some research, and in fact, Tony Danza has played seven different Tonys on television. So there you go with that. Also, he is once again playing a single dad. And once again, that is leveraged to show that he is capable of being somewhat nurturant 
and that this otherwise macho guy, maybe, just maybe, has a softer side. At least in his personal life. He's definitely a tough-on-crime reactionary, and Lori Laughlin's Melanie Clifford is a liberal journalist. He rants about all criminals being rats who are undeserving of any sympathy regardless of the circumstances, and she rants about things like civil liberties and human rights. So basically, they are a socio-political odd couple in a will-they-or-won't-they package? Eh. We watched two episodes, the pilot and episode eight. I have to flag immediately that her last name is actually pronounced Lachlan. Lachlan. Yeah. So I'm going to retake that. I don't think no, you no. have to. I think, I think we're fine. I think we're fine. <laughs> so we'll just keep the U in. Lock, Lachlan, eh? I, I've been pronouncing I, it Crandall. Now I feel like an idiot. I've been, let's, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, let's follow our usual rules of uh, pronounce it however it comes out while you're talking. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. I'll tell you what happens in the pilot. So it's Lachlan? Yeah, it's Lachlan. Yeah. All right. In the pilot, we meet Tony Kennedy trading jabs with his cop buddies and learn that this will be part workplace comedy. And then in a rare twist on the trope, meet his ex-wife Lucy when she drops off their son Frankie. Shared custody. Whoa. (laughs) And also she becomes a series regular. Whoa. Okay. They got divorced a year ago and everyone is encouraging Tony to start dating again. One of the other cops sets him up on a blind date with a newspaper. Yep. One- newspaper. Paper. Newspaper. I think personally that's a better name for the job than reporter, journalist, or even newsy. Just a paper. Newspaper. I guess I can't cut that out. That's too funny. Um- <laughs> We're a little rusty, folks. All right. Try this again. One of the co- one of the other cops sets him up on a blind date with a newspaper obituary writer. This turns out to be Melanie, who at this point is aspiring to get the job of crime reporter. They get into a pretty intense argument almost immediately due to their radically differing worldviews, and the date doesn't end well. The big twist at the end of the episode is that she got the promotion to the metro desk on the police beat, so she'll be working right down the hall and hopes he'll be a reliable and friendly connection in the police department. Thus sets up the central premise of the series. Will they be able to work together effectively or constantly butt heads? Will they fall in love? What could possibly go wrong? I know one thing that could go wrong. (laughs) What's that? What's his last name? Kennedy. Kennedy. I mean, there's many things that could go wrong, but what's what's one of them? Well, well, I would say the primary obstacle into their will they won't they relationship is that Tony Kennedy is a complete piece of shit. (laughs) I hate him so much. Yeah, he's the worst. Don't don't get me wrong. Like I've gone on this before is that. You know, Tony Danza is, is a great performer. It is always, you know, he's very capable. He's always enjoyable to watch. You know, he's not putting in a bad performance. It's a shitty character. And it and and worse, it's not like a poorly written shitty character. This guy is so believably shitty that like you're just like, oh, I hate, I hate you so much. Yeah. It is the exact it's- it's yeah. it's the yeah. exact opposite of say Brooklyn Nine Nine where you watch it and you know 
you're like, okay, well, these cops are okay. They're trying to do the right thing and blah, blah, blah. They have their, their, their heads in the right place. They really are trying to help people. He's a shithead. He hates everything to do with criminals. He hates his job. He hate like when in a sitcom, in a pilot of a sitcom, somebody actually brings up that there are like socioeconomic reasons for crime. He's like, ah, fuck that. I don't like him anyways. <laughs> yeah. I also found like that there's the scene where they go to the Rastafarian restaurant. Ooh. Yeah. And he's so like racist there. He's just everything in his tone is like very. Yeah. He's like, cool. Rem- oh, like this guy, the server comes up to them and is he's like, oh, um, there's some wisecrack about his hair. Yeah. Like, it's like remind he's like, me to you never ma- wear my hair like that. And have it's you like, made any decisions? Yeah. Never to wear my hair like that. And I'm just Although like, the other guy, the other guy is just great throughout the whole. Oh scene. yeah, oh yeah. yeah, that yeah, that actor is fantastic. He was great, but yeah. like it, it also has that sitcom logic problem of the fact that he chose to go there. Yes. They were very clear in the dialogue. He's like, oh, this funky Rasta yeah. place, he, and it's but it's like the way he talks about it is so yeah. like con- it's derisive. Like, yes, yeah. It's like it's like you're such an asshole. It's, it's a Rastafarian <laughs> like, pool hall. And yeah. so, okay, so to back it up a little bit. That's go- like also a sit-down restaurant yeah. with wait with waiters that yeah. are dressed like yeah. that are dressed like so, restaurants in a steak or waiters in a steakhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're on their blind date. He meets her after a pretty bad joke about making fun of how some other random woman on the street is like <gasps> oh, fortunately that was not, also terrible. Fortunately not her because she's not attractive or whatever. She's slightly older than he is. Yeah. So then he made reservations at some Italian restaurant, but she gives some reason why she doesn't like reservations and she'd rather do something spontaneous. So they go on a little walk. She's already like very flirty and romantic with him. They've just met. And he's the one who suggests that they pop into this Rastafarian pool hall, which is apparently like a place he knows well in the neighborhood. And then he's just so nasty about the place. And you're right. Like, it seems like a very randomly constructed sitcom set of like yeah. half fancy restaurant, half pool hall. The Rastafarian thing seems to be just wedged in there so that it can be the butt of jokes. Which yeah. is obviously quite problematic. Quite like- brutal. And and then their date immediately descends into like vicious argument over their differing worldviews. And like, I get how like when I first read the premise of this mm-hmm. show, like the one or two sentence synopsis, I was like, okay. I can see how that's like the premise of a 90s sitcom. I can see how you could pull some comedy out of that. The idea of this like police detective and this crime reporter. Okay, interesting. But like the the difference between their worldviews is so blunt. Like it's it's like it's like watching someone hammering a nail with a brick and there's no like nuance. There's no subtlety. They don't let these differences of opinion unfold organically over time. It's all just like expository dialogue. I'm the tough guy. Yeah. Well, I'm the I'm the softy. And uh, but also, I mean, like she's so badly written. Like she's just so like chaotic and like not an irrational. So it's like trying to portray a liberal person as just completely irrational and like mercurial like she she keeps having these like uh ranty meltdowns in several you know scenarios and it's like someone like her would not find him attractive like 
this is what it bothers me. I feel like this was a hot thing to do in the 90s and like 80s maybe. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, let's pair up an unlikely duo, romantic duo, a yeah. liberal woman and a conservative man. And it's like, that's just not going to happen. No, because when it's <laughs> done when it's done well, there's some elements of like common ground between yeah. them. Or there'd be some way where you'd see that there is chemistry, but there's yeah. no obvious chemistry to be yeah. found. And they're they're incredibly like they they laid on so thick and they're so blunt yeah. about the differences between them that it just doesn't make sense that you would like want to see this pairing go on no, for no for yeah. episodes. No, it, it, <laughs> In fact, you know, we pick up a, a few episodes later and they're still very much not getting along. And like they're as foils. You get it. You're like, yeah, these people fucking hate each other. And like they constantly have to bounce off each other. There's I can't imagine an audience ever being invested in seeing them get together because it basically means she has to give up every ounce of her principles to yeah. just be yeah. with. Tony Danza because he's the lead. Yeah. Like, yeah. She's yeah. channeling like all of her little meltdowns and stuff like that. Like, she's chan- they're they're really, really nailing, like trying to go for like the Rosalind Russell and his girl Friday. Like she's a fast talking reporter, but it's modern day. Uh, like, it just doesn't work, right? No. Like, you know, Lori Lachlan always has a capable energy to her. Like, she's always like she again. Not necessarily doing a bad job, just not really enamoring you to her much. The writers, it's really interesting because they're having these somewhat interesting, you know, clashes and worldviews. But like, like you said, there's no nuance to it, especially on the port of the writers don't think he's right. Like the writers are very clearly liberals. They're very clearly he. It's just weird because he's the hero of the show yeah. and the yeah. show very clearly goes out of its way to be like, he's such an idiot. He's such a like hothead. He's there's no way you're supposed to like him. And like, I don't get it. It's yeah. very just confusing. Don't get but it. on the yeah. one hand, it's like intellectually, you can see how the writers are putting their opinions about society into her character. Yes. But emotionally in terms of like the storytelling arc not only is he positioned as the hero of the series and we know this like it's not an even-handed show between the two of them like he's the protagonist he's the single father we open on him we have a lot about his relationship with his son and his ex and all of that so it's clearly like the show is his show he's also tony danz is an executive producer on the series like this is his show yeah, yeah, and it feels like they're trying to make him the more likable character, even yeah. if intellectually they agree with her in principle. And yeah. so there's a weird like they're thing going her on there. More of a like buffoon, like yeah. they're making her, which is annoying. Like yeah, they make but... her opinions silly. Yeah, even though it does seem like the way those opinions are written, you you assume that they are coming from the writers. And I'll get into this more in episode eight, because I, I think it it's easier to articulate this particular problem with the show through that plot. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting just to kind of see, like, I don't know what they're going for with him. Like, is he is he an Archie Bunky? Oh, my God, Sorry. I was he- literally gonna say that <laughs> <laughs> is he an archie bunker character where like yeah. he's deliberately obtuse and he and we're supposed to yeah. see he's wrong but he's still got a heart of gold 
because I don't see that. Yeah, I don't. I I see everybody around him like his, you know, his ex wife comes into the picture and like he's like constantly like shitting on her and like they actually like have kind of a sweet co-parenting yeah. relationship where they get along and you're like dude like stop ragging on her like she's really nice to you she still cares about you you guys are have a functioning co-parenting relationship and he's still like oh yeah look at this one over here you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it you know it I actually, I was like, oh, I kind of like how they get along. But yeah, yeah. it's he is ragging on her. Yeah. And, and she respects him enough to like tell him that she met a guy that she's serious about and all this yeah. stuff. And that she thinks he should start dating yeah, again. Like and she's like yeah, so supportive yeah. of him. And he's just like, yeah, this is my ex-wife, blah, blah, blah. Like, hey, look at this yeah. one over here. Yeah. It's he, he's such a brutal. macho asshole that yeah. like, and I'm sorry, I'm swearing so much about on this podcast, guys. It's, it's okay. just he is an asshole. He and is. Like, he's completely and unlikable. He's like, he's such a like contrarian in that like, and they show it many times where like, you know, he'll be like, hey, you know, take my wife, please. And then, you know, when they're. <laughs> When they're talking, you're you're like, well, you guys are fine. So what are you talking about? Or like when his date goes poorly and he starts bragging about it and being like, yeah, you know, it was a great date. I got to stop making that really uh, stereotypical accent. That's not helping anybody's case here. But he's just like <laughs> he's bragging about like, oh, yeah, like a beater at pool and stuff like that. And you're like, who cares, man? Like nobody Oh, I hate you. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so I can't believe you stole the uh Archie Bunker, Bunker uh theory from my mouth. Like I was literally <laughs> waiting to jump in and say that. Cause that's what I was like, as I was thinking, I was like, is this a failed Archie Bunker attempt? Like, were they did they fail? Like they were trying to be like he's a blowhard, he's like super like, you know. Yeah. Uh, like th were they trying to do that exact thing but it just was like not yeah so I don't know. this is interesting to me like that connection didn't occur to me but it's interesting that both of you brought this up and and reflecting on this i'm thinking like because this might be the first time that we've encountered this in our show where it really does feel like an attempt at an Archie Bunker-esque character dynamic. Yeah, because it's a main character who's conservative, who bumps head with another main character who's liberal, and like yeah. the, the fireworks that yeah. ensue. And the show is emotionally sympathetic to him, yeah. even though it is intellectually not necessarily on his side in terms of the content of what he's saying, but it's trying to get you to be on his side anyway. And it doesn't work. I agree with both of you. But that's just in terms of our vernacular on the show, we should call this the Archie Bunker theory. Yeah, yeah. Because this will probably so. come up again at some point. Yeah. I would. Yeah, I would assume so. This show seems to have a lot of jokes derived from men uncomfortably learning to deal with women as equals. And <laughs> I yeah. feel like. That was in the mid 90s. Yeah, in the mid 90s. <laughs> and I feel like in 80s sitcoms, that was like pretty much a given. But right. by 95, 96, it's starting to feel like, are they really tapping that again? Yeah. Like, guys, what is, what is guys watch a modern sitcom? Men are still learning to deal with women that, as equal human I guess, beings, I guess. <laughs> but like, yeah, this show, like, just, you know, bouncing away from the main principal like arc of the series to some of the other business that happens like there's all of the sort of uh 
chit chat between the cops at the station. And like a lot of it is like those cliche jokes about like relationships between men and women and like women cops and like all of these all these things that are just like the jokes are like so expected and and so hacky and yeah. Yeah, I particularly I don't know if either of you guys are Sopranos fans, but like uh, the chief oh, yeah. or whatever his character name uh, uh, is played by Jerry, Ad- Jerry Adler, who yeah. plays Hesh, Hesh in the Sopranos. And he's such a great performer. And it was so disappointing to just be like, oh, I hate everything I you're love, saying here. <laughs> I love Jerry Adler in like everything. Yeah. And he, yeah, me too. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, oh, I like I actually had a I similar guess note. I guess he's just been this age forever yes it's yes, true. yeah for like 20 years he's been the yeah. same age i feel like i want to go on a search for like early roles of jerry adler when he yeah. was young to see if that exists but yeah i also had a note about jerry adler saying jerry adler i like but he's playing such a cliche character <laughs> and it, it's true it's like it was very disappointing to see that even he was not like bringing some sunshine to this he's still with us yeah, yeah, I did look that up too to make sure. Um, That's nice. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice. Should I intro episode eight now? Yeah, go for it. What the hell? Yes. This one is titled Contempt. Melanie writes an article about a recent crime, and one of her sources might be able to help Tony pin the crime on the guy who he believes is guilty. She refuses to give up her source, and he pulls a favor to get her subpoenaed to testify before a judge. She still refuses to give up her source and gets held in contempt and thrown in jail. This theme of press freedom and source confidentiality is a complex, interesting, and still very relevant one. Will they treat this with the context and sophistication it deserves? Mm, No. Nah. In fact, Melanie's rich, pompous parents show up. They're from Connecticut and well-connected. They want to intervene because Melanie's commitment to her principles is embarrassing to them. But Tony actually defends her in front of them and then tries to seduce the source out of her. The plot is resolved by a deus ex machina when her source gives up their name and sells their story for a few hundred bucks. It's like, okay, the whole seduction thing, too. I do not understand why. I saw it coming a mile away, too. Like, you're just like, I know where this is going. I don't understand why that was, like, appealing to her. Like, that whole thing was just so goofy and, like, not even. Like, she's a, you know, we're to believe that she's. You know, an intelligent woman. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It was really stupid. I did find it very funny that in this episode, the thing she goes to jail for is actually an admirable thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I would also. Yeah. And 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 she and she also refuses to use her white privilege to get out of jail. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. See. This one really, (laughs) this is the one that really got me because, you know, okay, so right off the bat, like comes in, like, you know, he's wants to get this crook behind bars. He's going to, he's, he's in court on Friday. You're not still making the case, buddy. Like it's already (laughs) going to court. Yeah. And so she's got an article where there's an unnamed source saying something about him and stuff like that. Okay, cool. You can that can still be used. And then he's like, you got to give up your source. And she's like, no, I can't. 
that's end of story. Like, yeah. she, that's the law. She doesn't have to. And yeah. then the fucking show knows that. And then they have him consistently just pull cop bullshit privilege. And like, and then the judge steamrolls over her. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, like, and everybody just keeps throwing the, the obvious thing away, which is like, this is open and shut. Like, that's the law. Well, like, so she does not have to I, give up her source. So I actually, um, small shout out to a podcast I quite enjoy, a Canadian podcast called Canada Land, which does media criticism. And this exact topic has mm-hmm. come up numerous times on that show. And I'm definitely not expert enough to address this. But from my understanding, these sorts of cases where a journalist gets subpoenaed or ha- is put in a position where there, there is like pressure yeah. from the system to give up information is a thing that happens. And then that ends up getting resolved through like complicated lawsuits and things that are like way above the pay grade of a sitcom. Like it's, it's not the kind of thing the way they portray it here where she goes in and meets with a judge and he just makes snide remarks and she's got <laughs> yeah. her one lawyer standing there and then everything kind of gets like talked yeah. out between a few people. Like that's not, she's, yeah. she is, we are to believe, a crime reporter for the New York Times. Yes. So if some like local judge over a relatively low profile crime was trying to lean on her like this, they would eviscerate those people. Like the yeah. New York Times probably has a hundred lawyers on retainer. So like yeah. none of this makes any sense. <laughs> and also, like, again, the 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 effing like low rent detective <laughs> is not involved. Exactly. Yeah. He's yeah. not he's not making the case for something that's already on tr- that's already in court on Friday. Yeah. And like yeah. it's not even supposed to be a low rent crime. Like this is supposed to be like a, a like a crime boss because there's a million of those on TV <laughs> and like I just ah uh, and it it really pisses me off that like he never learns anything from this no like no. he is consistently like he just gets away with all this like basically like yeah. police bullshit he learns and, nothing like, and uh, yeah and the show and she sort and she sort of like. Like, I mean, I guess at the end he acknowledges that, you know, like she stuck to her principles and stuff like that. And like, yeah, cool. We already knew that she did. Like she did the right thing. And then the show sort of laughs or laughs at her yeah. for it. He admires that she stuck to her principles, but this show still positions <laughs> yeah. it as if it's her principles as a junior reporter versus yeah. him, some police detective. And not like a bunch of lawyers from a newspaper and and like a district attorney and their department battling it out yeah. in a way that would have like very little hinging on the relationship between these two people. Like this is truly not yeah. a theme that you can explore <laughs> through the relationship between these two people. You know, at the beginning of Law and Order, where they say in the yeah. criminal justice system, <laughs> there's two equally important groups or whatever there's the police yeah. who catch the criminals or whatever and there's the <laughs> district attorneys who prosecute the offenders this falls squarely in the second half of yeah. the law and order episode with yeah. the district attorneys the <laughs> cops are not present in the room for these conversations and they follow it up where when she's found in contempt and she gets thrown in jail he's the one who leads her to the cell how does that make sense <laughs> 
I don't what? know. I mean, maybe we're to believe that he has all these connections where he can make I think it that's so that. It. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's, you know, and it's again, I bring up Brooklyn yeah. Nine-Nine again, just because A, it's a show that I love. Uh, and B, like, it's one of those things where, like, you occasionally would come across stories like this on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But because of the very difference in writing, you know, again, this is 20 years ago, so obviously you can't expect modern yeah. writers to be on it. But like just seeing like a character like Jake Peralta, who occasionally will show, you know, moments of like cop machoism and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But basically, he's such a character that learns so much over the course of that. And, you know, it, by the end of that show is such a wonderful human being that like it's just so dis to watch be like oh right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i hate all i hate all of you yeah, again not to keep harping on this but she gets thrown in a holding cell at a police station that's not what happens that's like the cell that they call in a normal tv show like the drunk tank that's yeah. not where people who are found in contempt of court go none of this makes any sense where do those people go i don't even know like, like at actual jail i think yeah. I also, yeah, I mean, how could she be found in contempt of, uh, in contempt of court? She never went to court. No, it yeah. was like, a, it was like a preliminary meeting with a judge. I don't and even like, know if that makes no, sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. And then there's this lawyer character who comes in and like, it's so funny because the show keeps being like, this guy's, you know, he's so laughable. What a, what a joke. And you're like, this guy's great. He's a yeah. good lawyer. He defends her. He respects her. Brings her a muffin. Like. Yeah. This guy's great. And the show's just like, this guy is such a joke. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Why? Because he's doing his job and he seems qualified? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, like, it's hard to tell whose side this show is on, but it does seem to be stacked against her. And yeah. the whole sequence with her parents and exploring her, like, obviously very privileged upbringing the way they present it feels like they are putting down her principles around journalism as if it's just some sort of like, oh, she's just like the naive Ivy League, Ivory Tower sort of person that has yeah. no like real life street smarts. Yeah. And he's like the the guy who we're supposed to be more sympathetic with because he comes from a more relatable place or something. Like it, it felt like they were using that to like make us yeah. more against her profession or mm -hmm. something. I don't know. It's hard to hard to put my finger on it, but something just didn't I, sit well. I, I, I don't know that. if it's worth trying to figure out what they were intending. Because... I agree. I agree. <laughs> Probably not worth these it. These two cartoon characters come in and you're like, just, I guess these are her know, parents. Yeah, yeah. Let's just like focus on the impact, which was. Yeah. Yeah. A very boring and unlikable <laughs> show. Now, yeah. uh, actor Tom Gallup was in it. He's in the Seinfeld episode, The Andrea Doria. Is he the bad breaker upper who gets the fork in the forehead? Uh, I mean, who is he playing in this? Rogelski. Officer Rogelski, which is oh, such the last name that a cop on a show like this has to have. So Rogalski, he's the guy who's always, he's the guy who sets him up on the blind date. Yeah. And he's the guy always quoting the poetry. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't well, place let me, him. Uh, let me look it up. Uh, I should be. Is the Andrea Doria, that's the episode of Seinfeld he's in. Is that the episode where. With the bad oh, breaker upper. With the bad breaker upper. That's all we need to know. I don't know. 
While you're looking that up, I also want to comment on the opening theme and title sequence of this show. So first of all, we should take a step back and say that um, this is a Jonathan Wolf scored series. Yes. Cool. cool. Um, yes. Good, good score. Great good score. score. Great Very, score. I, w- I would say, at least in style, if you're out there, you know, keeping track, I would say it's more reminiscent of his Will and Grace uh, yeah. work. Oh, yeah. Similar to that. Yeah. 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 Good score. Um, interesting that Tony Danza is singing the theme song. And the pairing of that with like the really arty black and white photography of the sort of New York, New Jersey area and that typeface that they use, it it doesn't feel like the visuals. I'm not so much talking about the the, the music, but the visuals don't quite feel thematically connected to the show. Like I don't really understand what the connection is between... I found it really weird that they like so not only in the show description but also in the opening credits they focus on like you know birthplace of Frank Sinatra and like do they think that people don't know what New Jersey is? <laughs> That's that must be what it is because it feels like the opening uh, credits have a visual aesthetic that are like a nod to a Frank yeah. Sinatra era thing of yeah. that yeah. kind of classy old timey New York sort of thing. And, when men uh, were men. And then, yeah, I get, well, okay, I guess that's how it connects with the themes of the show. The, yeah. uh, the macho uh, throwbacks in all of the roles. I would, like, I, would like, I would like to watch a Tony Danza show where I like Tony Danza. That would be nice. Yeah. Because, again. I, I, I mean, like, I've always I, found him delightful. Like, right? when he's yeah. not playing, when it's not his show. Yeah. You know what I mean? When I see him pop up in things, I'm always happy to see him. Yeah, I find him very likable. I went yeah. into this expecting to like him. He's very yeah, I, charming. Because again, he's always a very capable performer, which makes this role very uh more it's more dangerous because you're like, if you make a character like this charming and likable, like, you know, you're gonna miss that he's an asshole if you're really not paying attention. Yeah. And I guess if you go back to Who's the Boss, which, if I remember correctly, started in what, like the late 80s? Something yeah, like I, that. I, 80, I, I would say Who's the Boss, I, I don't know, 85 maybe? Mid to late 80s. And, uh, you know, one of the central themes in that show, which is highlighted in the title itself, as I was thinking about it, writing these notes, is, you know, like, Who's the Boss? Well, clearly... Angela is his boss. He's been hired to be a live-in maid slash nanny. But because he's the man, maybe he's the boss? Like, that's clearly built into the premise of that show. But that show explores that in kind of a more earnest and thoughtful way over time. And, like, starting in the mid-80s, it's more logical that you'd be doing that to begin with. But by the time this rolls around... It's like, okay, we get it. Like, I mean, we assume. We assume. When was the last time anybody watched an episode of Who's the Boss? Fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's been, been forever. It's been a long time. I'm, I'm extrapolating from vague memories from childhood, but I'm, t- I'm more speaking to the fact that, like, in the mid-80s, I feel like it's not surprising that that would be the central theme of a show, whereas a decade later, it feels like, you're rehashing a concept that does not need to be rehashed. 
Agreed. Yes, he is the bad breaker upper. Uh-huh. Sorry for yes. the delay. That's yes. okay. Sorry, folks. That's okay. Well, I'm not going to lie. I, I would say, you know, this moving on a good clip. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I mean, I did want to bring up, um, like, rehash a little point that Aaron made earlier, but it can be a leftovers. I don't know. This is the point in the episode where I'm usually the one with a whole bunch more notes that yeah. I want to throw in. I mean, it's I not don't a whole really bunch. have anything left. I just have like one more thing. Like I, I just wanted to touch on something you brought up earlier, Aaron, and that was this like kind of idea of the formula of sitcoms being like comforting, mm-hmm. and I think that that's like really a thing. And I wonder if like the three of us, like when we're revisiting some of these. You know, it's hard to parse whether like or it's like hard to tell whether some of these shows that we sort of like, are we do we actually like them or is it that we're just like kind of like it feels familiar? Like we it were just, raised on it. It feels like there's something comforting about the formula. It's the McDonald's the French fries of television. I think that's yeah. like why yeah. a lot of people like Law and Order to bring up, you yeah. know, like a lot of yeah. people like there's a lot of jokes about like people like, oh, like I I fall asleep to Law and Order at night. And some of that is like the true crime fascination. But I think part of it is just the formula. There's something about it that is just so familiar to people of a certain age and of a certain demographic. Like, (laughs) it's just like the thing that's always on and is reliable and very formulaic. That's interesting. And, you know, while you were watching one of these episodes, I was assembling some Ikea furniture as we noted that we were in the process of moving. And I actually had this weird thought that crossed my mind where Ikea also has a bit of that flavor where it's kind of a comfort place that if you've grown up going to Ikea, especially like if you live in a city and you move a lot to different apartments. This is not an ad for Ikea. This is not an ad for (laughs) Ikea. But I was assembling it and, you know, I can remember back in the day having to like double check things on the instructions and make sure that I'm doing it right. But like now it's just so old hat, like it's just so easy because I realized that the way Ikea furniture is assembled is a collection of repeating patterns, tropes, kind of like in sitcoms. And, you know, it's so it gets to be so familiar that it actually makes it like easy and comfortable and you feel like it's a cozy thing to be doing it. And like some of their furniture is like cool and then some of it feels kind of like crappy, but like it it's all fitting within that tone. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what, it, what are you writing your masters here? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, mercy. We should call out the poker game trope. Okay, yeah, the poker game trope. Yeah, episode eight opens with the obvious classic poker game where the whole gang from the police station are at someone's home, sitting around a table, each doing their like $1 bets. And the fun twist is that Tony's son is playing the game, even though he's a kid. And they're all cops, but apparently like they don't care about gambling laws. And uh, On the other hand, it's 50 cents. Like, yeah. this is not something that would get them busted. Exactly. I'm not sure why the so, show is so like, oh, that's illegal. Yeah. It's- so it doesn't really <laughs> even make sense why it's a big deal. And then yeah. 
it is kind of funny the way that like the mom comes in and her thing with the son, the way they end up end up hustling everyone else because they make it seem like she gave up his hand, but she was actually bluffing. That was yeah. like kind of cute, but like. Yeah. That was the closest thing to a cute scene in the yeah, show. Huh? I, the closest thing. I basically thing. liked all the scenes where the ex-wife comes in. Because yeah. I just like, I liked her. I don't know. There's something about her I found very charming. Yeah, she was all right. Yeah. She was Sean Hunter's mother. Oh, wow. Hmm. And you know, his relationship with his son is is also generally well handled. They have a pretty... They have a pretty sweet back yeah, and forth kinda, between the sons. Like, I, cute. you know, even, even as weird as it is, like, just to see... Um, the level of uh, physical affection between a father and son on TV like that was uh, kind of sweet. Kind of sweet. You don't always see that. Yeah, you know? I agree with that. Um, you know, like they kiss each other and like that's that's generally something you don't see on TV because men don't. That men are... <laughs> uh, yeah, if only the show had balanced things better between his supposed yeah. nurturant side and then all of the shtick that happens at the police station and with Melanie. Because yeah. unfortunately, all of that stuff, obviously, since we spent 90% of this conversation talking about it, it's because that's 90% of the show. Yeah. yeah. So, Bryn, how does Hudson Street connect with Friends? All right. So I assume that it connects in more ways than what I actually uh wrote down here um but i just didn't you know i I didn't have the energy to do all the many webs and connections but i have two for you so one is a one degree connection and one is a two degree connection all right yeah so the one degree connection which is kind of a fun connection is through marcus flanagan who plays the defense lawyer jay gallagher in hudson street he guest starred and memorably guest starred on Friends as Phoebe's boyfriend whose balls kept peeking out of his gym shorts. <laughs> in the, All right. It's the episode in season three called uh, where Monica and Richard are are just friends. And yeah, so she's dating this guy, Robert. Right, I remember who, that. Who always wears shorts, yeah. who always wears gym shorts. <laughs> And he keeps like, you know, you know put his leg up yes, on the cat yeah, on the chair yeah. on the cat. And, and it's his, always around it's always around the guys too. Yeah, right? and his testicles yeah. are just out there for everybody to see. So yeah, so that's one degree connection. And the other one is a two degree connection um through Jerry Adler. Um so he played Lieutenant Al uh Teichler. Is that correct? Or is it Tischler? Whatever. Tischler. Tischler. So he plays, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't care enough to remember. Anyway, no. so Lieutenant Al Tischler, so he had a recurring role on Mad About You. And <laughs> I'm not so, familiar with that program. So sorry, guys. It's another Phoebe Buffet connection. Uh, so basically, he was recurring on Mad About You alongside Lisa Kudrow, who played Ursula Buffet. Um, but also played Ursula Buffet's twin sister, Phoebe Buffet, <laughs> on Friends. Oh. Uh, and I think there are more than one Mad About You connections, but I just, that was all the energy I had. That's too. good. That's good. <laughs> it's all we need. At yeah. some point, do we need to do some sort of bonus episode where we just rewatch a few episodes of Mad About You and try to understand 
why there are so many connections to that show? Like, did that show have a thousand guest stars or something? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, but it's you in could the do same with, universe too. Yeah. Yes. Like it is. Yeah. It's the friends same, and Mad same about universe you. as friends. Yeah. But yes. I'm saying that it's interesting that Mad About You intersects with so <laughs> many of these other shows right. it that we review. Well, uh, I mean, it was an NBC sitcom. Yeah. You could do the same with Mad About You, Friends, Seinfeld, Will and Grace. These shows ran for the better part of a decade on NBC. And, you know, they all shot on the same lots or close enough to the same lots. So, yeah, yeah they're going to share some. They probably had the same casting agents. <laughs> I mean, probably. It feels yeah. like, yeah, a lot of NBC shows, there's just. All the actors from one show have guest starred on another. Like it's yes. just well, Hudson Street was not family. NBC, right? But it doesn't. Like, it wasn't. No, I don't know what it was. I was just asking. <laughs> I believe it was ABC. I I I'd have this to check feels, again. This feels very NBC to me. Yeah, one just, of you check. I don't. Wanna. Uh, I don't wanna. This is all. It's all staying. I'm looking. I'm looking. Well, you were supposed to cover that in your intro, I Aaron. Yeah. Care. <laughs> problem this is the problem with this particular show we just we didn't none of us abc abc okay ABC. so you were right you were right sorry Ugh. guys i mean it sounds like we're just not prepared but literally it's just because we liked this show so little and i would just i would challenge anyone out there to watch one episode of this yeah. and try to care about it because you can't yeah. it's not possible but the network definitely wanted people to care about it because, according to Wikipedia, it initially received some good reviews and placed in the top 10, partly due to its placement between the ABC hits Roseanne and Home Improvement. But the series was canceled after one season as it couldn't hold on to its lead in audience. And then it was moved to Saturday, which sealed its fate for cancellation. Did 22 episodes, four of them remained unaired. <laughs> so there you have it. Yeah. yeah. Bryn, why don't you uh, tell us about the, uh, the spin-off? The spin-off. The spin-off. Okay, well, you know, like we're seeing over and over again, like a lot of these people, it doesn't matter how poorly received a show is, a lot of the actors and the cast, like they just, they continue to work. It's, it's you know, it's like a little blip in their career. No big deal. They all move on and continue to do other stuff. <laughs> Did Obviously. anything did anything ever happen to Lori Lachlan after this? Oh, I don't know. We'll get to it. So Tony, so Tony Danza, <laughs> you know, uh, you know he everybody knows what he's been up to as we said in our previous epi episode. Uh he just continued to play various other characters named Tony <laughs> in other projects and he kept being a very popular and beloved television uh, performer so you know he wasn't going anywhere he had this as a flop and then he also had another uh series um what was it uh, tony danza show the tony danza show that also was not a success but you know it just yeah they, you know he just kept going he kept at it um and then so Lori lachlan um, so she followed up hudson street with a variety of tv movies and tv guests uh, guest spots, including Suddenly Susan and Seinfeld. She plays like one of Jerry's girlfriends in Seinfeld. Um, she had recurring roles on Spin City, The Drew Carey Show, 
Uh, she then starred in the short-lived WB series Summerland. I don't know if either of you oh, saw that. Yes. It was not a good yes. show either. No, um, no, but it was she, on. She also co-starred in the 90210 reboot. Um, playing, one, one of them. Yeah, one of them. Um, and she became big in the world of Hallmark uh, and did tons of like, you know, Christmas movies Lots. and stuff like that, right? And Mysteries, then, yeah. So she reprised her role as Aunt Becky in Fuller House, and uh, she was dropped from that series when she was arrested for the in the uh, 2019 uh, college admissions scandal. And I'm sure you all know the details of that. Uh, if not, feel free to do some Googling. But it's like a very embarrassing situation for her and everyone involved. Uh, and uh, yeah. I mean, everyone else in the the main cast, um, Jerry Adler, Jeffrey Anderson Gunter, who plays Winston uh, Silvera, who is the the guy at the Rasta Club. He continues to be on the show, so it becomes a bigger role. Okay. Oh, interesting. Uh, Yeah. So I guess that that restaurant becomes their hangout or something. But anyway, um, he and Christine Dunford, who plays... The one female cop in the whole like series, uh, you know, all of these performers continued to work a ton. Uh, Tom Gallup, Shireen Mitchell, who plays his ex-wife, like they're all just, you know, stellar performers all popping up in TV over the years. Um, all, you know, mostly in sitcoms, but in other um, one hour dramas. Um. Yeah. Basically, Hudson Street might have been a flop, but they no, all did just fine. They all did just fine. They're okay. All, again, like most of the shows we watch, there's very seldom like a poor performer on them. Like they're all talented actors and actresses. Like you know, say what you want about uh, Lori Loughlin. You know, she's always a, a a capable presence on television, and the reason why she works so much is because she's yeah. She is that. I mean, she is not a hard person to watch on TV, nor is Tony Danza. Yeah, they're yeah. both very talented. There's, there's yeah. no reason this shouldn't have worked. Everyone in this show is delivering their performances at a high energy. They're like doing everything yeah. they can to make their respective characters engaging, and you know, yeah, I would say this one really, really fails on a writing level. I yeah. mean, mo- more than anything, yeah. tone and tone and writing. Really, like, often I'll rag on like editing things or visual things, like camera choices. No problems with any of that stuff. Like nothing, nothing no. bumped for me in terms of like the style of the way this was executed. It felt very proficiently put on the screen. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You know, maybe we should take a moment to talk about our show. That was a show. That was a show, and how much we love to hear from you out there, the listeners. I mean, if you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcast or, well, you know, anywhere you can leave us a review. Uh, if you had any ideas for future shows to cover or you just want to say hi, uh, you can reach out to us on social media uh, or, you know, hey, you can leave us a voice message. Isn't that right, Aaron? That's right, Barry. It's easy. Just go to anchor.fm slash that was a show and click message. Who knows, we may even play your voice message on a future episode of a show. Maybe we should listen to a couple of those messages now. Great idea. 
I haven't checked it in a couple days, actually. Message one. Aaron, Anthony Producer here. I'm still on the road for my book signing. I was just thinking about you guys in the show. I hope you're all doing well. Oh, well, that was nice. Message two. Aaron, Mr. Producer here. I got to thinking. I left town so quickly, I forgot to check my TiVo. Would you mind going over there, making sure it's still set to record new episodes of Magnum P.I.? Thanks, kid. I don't have the slightest clue where he lives. <laughs> There's no way that TiVo still exists. Message three. Aaron, Tony P. Jody just told me that CBS canceled Magnum. Never mind. <laughs> actually, I, you know, I was actually just reading that. Message four. Kid, great news! NBC swooped in, and they rescued Magnum P.I. Gonna need you to check that TiVo after all. <laughs> Does he think there's already episodes ready to go? Message 5. Hey, kid. A.T. here. Jody just told me, it's not even the same damn Magnum P.I.? Who the hell is Jay Hernandez? This kid doesn't even have a mustache! End of messages. Alright, well, I guess, uh... It would be really nice if other people left us some messages. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, so everyone listening out there, we'd love to hear from you about the show. So please leave us some voice messages so that we're not stuck playing messages for Mr. Producer. <laughs> what a guy. I hope his book tour is going well. Yeah, me too. I wonder what city he's in right now. <sighs> I'm. Who knows? Speaking of book tours, our uh, friend of the pod, Neil Fisher, I believe is on a book tour himself. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yes, it's called Being Patrick Swayze, Essential Teachings from the Master of the Mullet. You can find it, uh, you know, where you buy books. Maybe they'll bump into each other on the road. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's another show. Yeah, that was a show indeed. Indeed it was. Until next time. That Was a Show is created and hosted by Bryn Burney, Andrew Barry Helmer, and myself, Aaron Yeager. It's a production of Radio Gizmo in Toronto, Canada. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. Follow us on Instagram and tell your friends about it. That Was a Show? Radio Gizmo.